0: Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's a shaman columnist. He also knows tons about lore. That would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe.
2: Hey, everybody.
0: How you doing?
2: I'm, I'm here.
0: We have a book to talk about. I'm so we excited. We do. So let's introduce the other lore-focused writer over on Blizzard Watch as well, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: How are you doing?
1: Uh, I'm awake. It's been a nice weekend temperature-wise. It got hot today, but the previous couple of days have been okay. Went out to a local used bookstore, found some cool stuff. They had... This was actually one kind of amusing moment that you you'll appreciate. They had, like... Someone had apparently come into this bookstore and sold all the World of Warcraft guides. The guides? The Prima ones. Oh, yeah. All, going all the way back to the first one. Wow. So... I'm going through, going through, going through. And there's the Warlords of Draenor one. And I was like, ha, the one <laughs> cool. I was in. Okay. So, yeah, that was kind of amusing. And they also had, like, the old um, Atlas, the original Atlas when the game first came out. So, you get I to do like, I oh.
0: have that, and I really want that, but I don't I, have that.
1: I didn't buy it because we do actually have a copy of it. <gasps> uh, I don't know how we got it. So, yeah, it's the original one. They had a copy. They also had the the RPG books but you know those I've had those already so
0: I have digital versions of all of the RPG modules I think I think
1: I've I've got World of Warcraft the role playing game looking at me right now from the I shelf.
0: Might, I might be missing some of them. I don't know. I haven't been able to eat. It's hard to find like physical copies of these things. But yeah, the atlases are things that are not in my collection. And I sort of wish that they were because maps are cool. Atlases are neat.
2: Yeah, it's the only thing I'm missing is the
1: atlases.
0: I sort of wish that they'd... Oh, we're
1: both going to have to come up to Edmonton now.
0: Yeah, well, I sort of wish that they'd do them for the newer material, especially since we're going to, like, new continents and things like that. Uh, Having new atlases would be kind of neat. Blizzard, if you're listening, might be a fun idea. Just saying. (laughs) All right. Uh, So today, we are going to talk about Before the Storm. Uh, That's Christy Golden's latest novel. It just came out last week. Not everybody's had a chance to read it, I'm sure. Um, if you haven't read it yet, this is maybe not the podcast for you, and you should come back after you've read it. Because we are, full disclosure, going to be talking about spoilers all over this book. Everything is fair game. Um, we kind of avoided it on the main show, but that's not what Lore Watch is about. So, if you're avoiding spoilers for Before the Storm, just go ahead and stop now. Not going to blame you. Just... Go read the book, come back, you can hear our thoughts on it afterwards. There's no time limit to this. It'll be recorded on the internet forever. Um, that said, let's get into it. What do you guys think of the book?
1: I mean, I certainly thought it was very well written. Um, I have like one or two minor quibbles with it, which, I mean, we can go into, but... Uh, one of the oh, things I thought they did... impression,
0: and then we'll go into the quibbles yeah. if I... But... I think
1: it did an, ex- an excellent job of showing exactly the differences between Anduin and Sylvanas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and setting up how each of them... Like, th- their characterization and how that goes forward. Uh, you basically get to see Sylvanas' fatal flaw in action, yeah, and you get to see uh, Anduin trying to deal with... Anduin trying to take the higher ground, and finally it hints that he doesn't necessarily... He, intellectually he feels this is the way to go but sometimes emotionally he doesn't feel that way and there's a really key moment between the two of them that I think sets that up. Overall, I mean, it's it's a good book. It's Christy Golden. What do you expect? Yeah, um, It's going to be a good book.
0: What do you think, Joe?
2: Yeah, I, I actually very much enjoyed it. Uh, it's probably one of the Uh, Better books that I've read recently as far as uh, Warcraft novels go, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I do have some minor things about it, but, I mean, I wouldn't be me if I didn't. Uh, But overall, I really enjoyed it. I particularly enjoyed the characterization of everybody involved. um, And I liked some of the deep cuts. So,
0: Okay. I think this is probably the best Warcraft novel Golden has written. Period. Um And what I really appreciated about it was that we got to see a side of the Forsaken that we've never seen before. Um, I know with Sylvanas, okay, Sylvanas over the years has been presented in like several different ways. And we've gotten several different takes of her across expansions and in different novels and everything else. But she's been given that, you know, three dimensionality kind of a treatment where you see all sides of her. And they aren't necessarily good or bad, but they exist, right? But the Forsaken have always been kind of cookie cutter. Like, they're just shy of being an outright sort of caricature. Like, oh, I don't know, the gnomes are, right? (laughs) Where it's like, if you're a Forsaken and you're doing Forsaken quests, everything is evil and dark and grim and despairing and there's just there's it's this relentless onslaught of that and we just got that one dimension in game. There were hints of other sides in there. Um, I don't know if you guys remember there used to be this quest in Hillsbrad Foothills um, from Terran Mill where you were sent to go take care of some traitors, quote unquote traitors to the Forsaken. That had gone to speak to humans that were just outside the ruins of Dalaran. Do you guys remember this with the yeah blood very shards? vaguely yeah with the blood shards? Well, when you go there and you end up killing the traitors and you kill everybody else, you get um, a journal that is dropped by one of the NPCs. And in the journal, it details that these guys weren't trying to do anything terrible, they were just worried about what was going on and they didn't necessarily trust Sylvanas or think that she was up to good things. And it was the first and only inkling I ever saw that there were people that didn't just fall in line behind Sylvanas and, and, you know, follow her without any kind of reservations whatsoever. And I always found that fascinating. That quest never went anywhere. After it was over with, all you were left with was a sense of ah what did I do and then you never heard anything about it again which didn't sit quite right for with me but oh well that's 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 how it goes but what we got in before the storm here is those people the people that don't necessarily follow the same kind of reasoning as Sylvanas we got to see that kind of brought to the fore here and see a different side of on life after death if you want to call it that I guess Um, And I really appreciated that. Like, I really appreciated that. Um, It wasn't just Sylvanas getting the 3D treatment here. It was the entirety of the Forsaken as a race.
1: Well, for that matter, I mean, you can kind of flip it around a bit. Mm -hmm. In that you see that the the people of Stormwind, who in many places are not just of Stormwind. Many of them are refugees from Lordaeron. uh, They have mixed feelings about the Forsaken as well. It isn't just burn, burn all the monsters. Uh, a lot of them feel that way um, but at least some of them are like you know w- w- I can go talk to my my father or I can go talk to my children yeah they're they're different now but I can still talk to them there are some humans may- willing to reach out across that gap and some of them are willing to reach out across that gap to an extreme degree um, so there was that was an interesting part of the book uh, We we're, we're, we're like we're totally okay with spoilers here right? Yeah, so that's yep. The, the Calia Menefil subplot, um, I honestly felt like it needed more. Quite frankly, like I liked what we got, but I wanted to see more of it. Uh, I this is my my major problem with this book is that this book had about twice as much stuff in it than it had time to cover. Um, this is like my main feeling that like the the main letdown I had was that this book could easily have been twice as long and covered all the stuff it was trying to cover. It just felt like there's too much in this book. Do you you guys, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that sensation of it.
0: I think the feeling that I got with the whole Kalia subplot um, was that there is more information there that is waiting to be told, but they're waiting to tell it at a point where it'll be more relevant. And I have a feeling it's going to get a lot more relevant towards the end of this expansion.
1: I'm not just talking about the Callius stuff. I'm talking about there's that whole subplot with the goblin and the gnome coming together over Azurite. Yeah. There's there's a lot of subplots in this book. I'm not again, this is not this is not me saying it's a bad book or I didn't enjoy the book. You just it's wish it had saying, been longer. <laughs> I kind of feel like it should have been longer. Like this is one of those few times where I don't feel like this isn't me saying, Oh, self indulge me, give me more of the stuff I wanted. I'm literally saying I felt like this was two books worth of stuff
2: yeah no I, I definitely agree with that too like there there and was i mean it was so much in there
0: keep in mind that this book was two hundred and eighty one pages so it's not like it was a short book by any stretch of the imagination, but they could have yeah they could have added more to it and I am kind of wondering. Particularly, like I said, with the Kalia subplot in particular, and also the stuff that kind of went on with Bane that was sort mm-hmm. of referenced and then didn't. I'm wondering if we're going to get more audio dramas and or short stories and or something along the lines that will pull all of this stuff forward.
1: Had Cause... they announced that this was the first of a like a trilogy or even just a du- like two book series... I wouldn't have been surprised because that's exactly when you're talking about the thing with Bane. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Where it's, that happened, and then you don't really hear much.
0: I, I feel like there's going to be more. They just haven't announced anything yet, and maybe we will hear more announcements along those lines later on in the year or after the expansion or, is out. Who knows? Or
1: it might show up in the game for all we know. Yeah, but all I know is could. there's a mo- there's a moment in the book where, of all people, Valeria Sanguinar showed up. Yeah, and I'm sitting there going valeria sanguinar just showed up in this book um so everybody from the comic made it out but one character okay i'm cool with that
0: (laughs) well valeria is actually she's in game too she's part of the rogue class order hall yeah but it's still she does not pop up very often
2: her role is interesting as it's described too like that's 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 the thing like like, the way she's there it does
0: if you go back to the comic she was much more I mean, she was pretty much aligned with Varian Wrynn. She didn't really have much to do with the Blood Elves or anything like that. Um, She wasn't there for any of that. She was off being a gladiator. So when she came back, she was kind of working with the Alliance um, as that sort of go-between. And you saw it again in, uh, do you guys remember the Battle for the Undercity sequence? Yeah. Okay, she was in the Alliance portion of that. She wasn't in the Horde portion she showed up at the very 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 beginning if yeah, i remember yeah she was correctly. there with she
1: was standing there with Brawl. yeah she when you there with when Brol. you get there it's her and Brawl, and they right, tell you right
2: but that the different like that makes sense for you know because Varian's there and Varian is you know her go-to buddy that makes sense like those three are bonded in a way yeah, that a lot it, of other characters comics, can't be.
1: In the comics, they definitely pointed out that Valeria kind of transferred to Anduin, yeah. like she she started watching him, she started protecting him. That's that's a st- sure stabbing. what what I'm saying. She's like is his like,
0: creepy stabby aunt.
2: <laughs> but the thing is, like the watching the watching him and looking over him thing, that's one thing, and I can understand that. But I thought it was really really cool that she is anduin's personal spy master and the fact that that's the role that she takes in his life not just his unseen protector that was really cool because it means that like she she has importance beyond just being a character that can murder anything she wants right a
1: solid role
2: yeah
1: i actually kind of like the fact that anduin it's not that he doesn't trust shaw necessarily but she has
2: a way that he can't be
1: well, he's got... No, I don't even know if it's that, although that's certainly true, but I think it's... Valeria is there because Anduin needs somebody who can be his face on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something that Shaw can't do. Shaw has no way to do that. He is not going to be the guy who reaches over to the Horde. Well, but, he wouldn't be. He couldn't And be. Yeah. Varian
0: yeah. never would have looked for a spymaster who could do that.
1: Oh, exactly. So Never. I, Yeah. And so it's interesting. It's an interesting it shows a bit about Anduin that he isn't as naive as everybody thinks he is.
2: Oh, no. And that That, that was one of the things I loved about the book is they point they point out frequently like Christy Golden points out frequently how clever Anduin actually is.
1: Yeah. And not just clever. Like he he stands on principle. He makes the principle decision. But it's like there's an old uh, there's an old saying. I don't remember where this is from, but it's like, you know, hold out an open hand. But have your you know have a sword in the other. Anduin's ready to fight if fighting is necessary. Uh, I think it's it goes back to that dwarven girl that that he mentions when he's talking to Moira. When the book very unsubtly hints that Moira and Anduin are gonna get together, and I don't know what's going on there, guys. But okay, that's what it read like to me. Like, are these two gonna go on a date? Like, what? I don't, yeah. I don't
0: think that... I don't think we're going to see Moira and Anduin get together, but no. I do like the how... The book kind of felt like it, man. I do like how the book very directly addressed <laughs> through Gen, because of course Gen would be like at the forefront of this, <laughs> the whole, you need to get married and you need an heir or you need to find somebody... In case you fall down, that can pick up things after you. By the way, my daughter is available if you're interested. <laughs> what was funny about that
1: was a he did it without even involving her. Like his his no. daughter, his daughter didn't even get asked. No, she's but, off we're... in
0: the rogue order hall somewhere <laughs> doing and her I, own thing.
2: And I loved Anduin's I loved Anduin's reaction to that too. That he was
0: like, perfect. "I don't know if Tess would really be into that." <laughs> But it does. Yeah. I mean, it, it was something that was very directly addressed. And it is one of those questions where it's like, yeah, you're, you're leader now. You gotta worry about this stuff now. There's a lot of things that Anduin has to worry about yeah. now that he didn't have to previously. So, yeah.
1: Gen makes one good point during that conversation. Of I did like one thing Gen said. He was like, you can't keep putting this on me i'm old yeah i don't know if you know this but i'm really old you can't have me as your backup well not even like
2: i'm old and i tend to have situations that i get into in which i seem to have a death wish because that's who
1: i am so yeah you you need to pick somebody else i i I don't want to like make the entire thing about anduin's dating relationships type stuff but that was interestingly handled anduin's reaction to it was like well i'm simply not going to do it
2: Listen, all I know is that after this book, there's probably going to be a market for an Anduin dating sim game if Blizzard wants to get into that, that category. So
1: just, the problem with that is, like, you know, everyone's going to pick Rathian, so it's not worth doing, in my opinion.
0: <laughs> I honestly, I don't see that happening at all. Not because, not just because Rathian hasn't been involved in the game uh, at all, but because. I'm just being silly here. I, I don't mean, actually. No, 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 no. I, I feel, I feel like, I, I almost feel like we should probably discuss it because it is one of those things that, like, people talk about is the whole, well, are they going to be rom- romantically involved? And I think the answer to that is no. I mean, if you read war crimes you get a very clear picture of their relationship in war crimes. And it's not a romantic relationship. It's a relationship between two people who are kind of in a similar situation of sorts. They both have fathers, and neither one of them is really certain whether or not they want to step up afterwards. Because there's this lengthy discussion between the two of them where Anduin is talking about being king and how it's all kind of overwhelming and all this other stuff. And Rathian's like... Well, you know, we could just fly away, go out, see the world. You don't have to stick around. <laughs> because that's what Rathian did, you
2: know. The I don't know talking about this whole dating thing. One thing that this book made me really think about uh-huh. is whatever happened to Talia Fordragon and I mean, I know I intellectually I know because of, you know, beta access and all that stuff, but like uh, let's not
0: go too far into that yeah. cuz we don't want to do we didn't we I'm didn't, not going to
2: spoil that, but I'm just I'm curious. Yeah curious if the four dragon bloodline is going to be aligned again with you know the it's, Vins.
0: it's an interesting thought i mean there are prospects out there for andwin there it's not like there's none to be found whatsoever there are prospects out there for andwin so I, I think it's something that will be addressed in due time but i also think that now is not the time to address it and i Fair think that's, that's what Andwin was trying to get across to poor again he's like okay I I really don't need to be thinking about this right now. And Gen's like, "Look, the days are ticking, boy."
1: <laughs> what? Uh, another thing that happened though in the book that I feel like has nothing to do with Anduin getting a girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but there's one bit that happens with Jaina that I felt like we should mention.
0: Oh yeah, we finally got a little bit, tiny bit of resolution to the whole where has Jaina yeah, Proudmore yes. been thing. <laughs> um. Now, keep in mind that in terms of timeline, as far as this goes, this book takes place before the Jaina comic. What we see in the Jaina comic is what happens after Before the Storm.
1: Yeah, this book is like literally... You, it actually, the scene where you see Anduin and Sylvanas and their After Legion c- cinematics, those scenes happen in this book.
0: Yeah. So it ties into the game right it there. ties into the game really well that was the other thing that i kind of appreciated was that there were all these subtle ties to things that had been already going on in the game and it pulled it all together without being like super overwhelming it was just very elegantly done i guess um so it wasn't so much uh this book is a totally separate thing it was here are events that are going on while all this other stuff is going on and they kind of wove that together re- really well um, in the context of the book. What was I saying? We were talking about Jaina. Jaina, yes. You were talking about Jaina.
1: Okay, well, Jaina shows up and we have a brief scene with her and Calagos, which I'm pretty sure they're not dating anymore. Okay, that, that felt an awful lot like we're not dating
0: anymore. It felt like it a goodbye.
2: That yeah. was the long-distance breakup. That was the, look, we're going to be apart for, like, way long time. It's not that I don't care about you or love you or anything like that. It's just that, like, I'm not going to see you because... Well, it's already been X amount of time since the last time we really had anything, you know, meaningful. So see you around. like that's what it
1: felt like to me. Yeah, it was it, it definitely felt like an end to that. Uh, for one thing, we're not probably not going to see a lot of Dalaran in the next expansion, whereas we're going to see a lot of Jaina. So that makes a certain amount of sense. But I, what I liked was just getting to see that she's been doing things. Um, somewhere out there in the world while everything else was going on every so often a bunch of demons would have a very bad day when they would run into Jana Proudmore um, because if everything i've seen in the beta Jana Proudmore is terrifying to, to run into Jana Proudmore is terrifying enough to run into that if you could you could be the the like chief magician of an ancient immortal race of m- m- magic users who've been living in a bubble for like 10,000 years and have kept all their arcane wisdom and you're still scared of her cuz she'll wipe you out And I mean,
0: I recently went through and did the whole Dominance Offensive chain all over again on an alt, just because, just for funsies. And I forgot how downright terrifying Jaina is during the whole Purge of Dalaran sequence. Like, when you see her come around the corner with those water elementals, you run. You run fast. (laughs) Because she's not messing around. Um, And that's, yeah. Jane is a force to be reckoned with. And I think that despite her and Calagos being very much interested in each other, she knows she's very certain that she's going down a completely different path and she doesn't know how to get off of that path or if she can even get off of that path. And I think Honestly, that's what a lot of that conversation was about was just yeah. we're going in two vastly different directions and I know that you want me to behave, you know, you want me to see the world in a certain way, but I don't and I can't and I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to. So this right here... Probably isn't healthy to try and maintain right now. And there was very much a sense that, yeah, she still cares for him and he still obviously very much cares for her, but circumstances being what they are, it's just not going to work. There's also a sense
1: that one of the things I liked about it was that Jaina feels very much like it's not that she doesn't know if she can get off it. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to work with the Horde. She doesn't trust them and she's not going to change her mind. She's seen too much, she's done too much. This isn't going to change. Uh, she is not going to believe that the Horde can be trusted. It just is not going to happen. And I like that for whether whatever or not you think she's right, I like that she's not just, she's not a, a, a piece of like, you know, she's not a tree to be blown around whatever way you want her. She's decided and she's going to stick with it. I like that about it too. It was nice to see her basically saying, you know, I can be, I can be reasonable and, and caring and all that stuff and still hold on to this belief. So I, I liked, I, I thought that scene was good. It just, unfortunately, it's kind of like I kind of now I want there to be a Jaina Proudmore book, but we're not going to get that because we're doing this other book. Okay. <laughs> it could have been. Yeah.
0: Joe, any thoughts on Jaina and Caligos? I, I
1: th- the only thing I really say is I
2: think it, it, the, er, everything played out the way it needed to. Like it, it felt, I, I hesitate to say it felt right, but the way that it was described the way that everything went and and sort of occurred it felt like that was sort of the natural continuation of that story right um and i and and i'm okay with that like i may not like it i may you know i may have wanted them to have a happily happily ever after but the reality is that's not the world that they live in and they both know it and and so what occurred okay i'm okay with it
0: there's an element of realism here that i appreciate and i know that's a really funny statement when you're talking about a woman who's in love with a dragon and vice versa. <laughs> but when you step back from that aspect of it and just look at it like two people in a relationship, sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes things just don't work out. And there, it, it, there doesn't have to be a happily ever after. And there doesn't have to be a wave the magic wand. Oh, my entire worldview has suddenly been changed and the world is okay again. No, that's not how the world works. It's kind of a hard road trying to figure out what you believe in. And Jaina spent the majority of her life believing in one thing and then got shown in one really horrifying moment that maybe all of that stuff that she was believing in was wrong. Like, completely, utterly, horribly wrong. And she's still kind of processing that. It's not... The stuff that happened in Theramore, that's not the kind of thing that you have happen and then you, you you just sort of, you know, brush it off or forget about it or all of a sudden you feel better again. That was like her whole world that came crashing down around her and she's still not over it and she's probably never going to be over it because that's not something that is easily recovered from. So I, I, I kind of really appreciated this scene because I one of the things... War Crimes was a really great book, don't get me wrong, but the way that Jaina and Caligos their relationship was handled in that book, didn't really, I didn't care for it. Because it, it felt like, I don't know, it just, it felt like that whole, let's wave a magic wand and all of a sudden you feel better. I don't, I don't, I didn't care for it. This, this, the the stuff in Before the Storm, that's more of what I expected. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it actually makes me think about something about Sylvanas, and that. Oh yeah, see- let's talk
0: about Sylvanas yeah. because she's in this book too.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sylvanas is all over this book. Oh um, boy, one of the things I remember saying when I first when I first read it is, uh, I think I even said this in no, Your lore Sylvanas' major issue is that she cannot separate herself from the Forsaken. If something happened to her, it'll happen to the Forsaken. If she believes something then it's good for the Forsaken. If she wants to do something, that's the thing the Forsaken should do. And this book is the first time you get to see her running into the idea that the Forsaken, as free will, as free will um, undead, might want to do things she doesn't want. Mm -hmm. And how does she deal with that? She doesn't deal with it like a petty tyrant. She doesn't say, well, you're going to do what I want and stamp her feet. She starts manipulating them. Well,
2: she's Um, a tactician.
1: Yeah, And it's just interesting to watch how she does it. One of the one of the things that I think we're going to have to talk about the comic here because it kind of ties in. Yeah, go ahead. When she, when, when the Windrunner comic is basically the story of her reuniting with her two sisters. It's the three of them, and each of them has changed. Each of them has had a different life, and this calls over from War Crimes too. The bit with Verisa, when Jane, when Jana, sorry, when Sylvanus and Verisa were like talking during War Crimes. One of the descriptions I always liked was that the idea of the, the familial love felt like a phantom limb to Sylvanas. like. It shouldn't be there, but it is. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to feel it, but she does. And the only way she could think of to deal with it would was to kill her sister. And not just kill her and walk away, but to kill her and then raise her as Forsaken. Then there'd be nothing stopping them from being together. Because that's how the only way she can understand... The only way a living person and one of the, the Forsaken can possibly have a relationship is if they're both Forsaken. Like the living person has to die and become forsaken that's the entire plot sylvanas has going on in this book it's and that was her...
0: kind of like
1: well I that's mean, her belief that right?
0: idea was reinforced in war crimes because what does verisa do at the end she turns away to go back and live with her sons and the other living people and leave sylvanas to herself kind of reinforcing that whole idea of and that's why the comic is so interesting yeah because
1: at the end of the comic, after Alaria and, and Sylvanas have their standoff, it's Verisa who says, not only does she say, you both left me, you both abandoned me, and I had to go on without you. She then turns to Sylvanas and says, you know what? I shouldn't have just sent you a letter. That was wrong of me. I don't want to never see you again. I don't want to not have anything to do with you. As as hard as it is, this I should have treated you better. And that, like... You see Sylvanas literally quiver in the comic. You see her quiver from this. It's not something she wants to hear. It's not something she can accept.
2: Well, because it, it shatters the lie that she's she's told herself, right? Like it's it shatters the the belief that she has built all of this up on, which is that the living cannot understand the forsaken. You know, not since they were turned away by the alliance, not since they were, you know, immediately looked upon as nothing but just more of the scourge. Like they they can't love us. They won't ever love us. They can't see us for what we are. They can't see that we are, you know, the same people that we were in life even a little bit. And so anything that shatters that is a threat. And like that's an important thing right there for her because for like we 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 talk about how maniacal she is a lot and I'm General We and how you know tactical and manipulative and how much of a, like a general she is, but this book really highlights that all of that is based around the insecurity of that one thought. Let's, that, um,
0: Joe, go ahead and finish.
2: I was going to say, like, I find that fascinating because it gives her more emotional depth that, which comes in line with everything we've been seeing over the last few years.
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to jump to an email real quick because we do have an email that's asking r- what we're talking about right now. So, um, Let's just go ahead and bring that up. Uh, This one is from Germ, who says, Hello, watchers. I read the book, and I know you're tackling it this week, so maybe you'll already tackle this issue. Well, we are, kind of. Sylvanas didn't have a lot of book time. A lot of folks I talk to call her the new Garrosh, but I love how it seems her wrath towards her own people comes from the fact that she considers herself rejected by her family while these were accepted by her family. Thoughts? Uh,
1: I think it's a little more complicated than that, but the basic idea is... Sylvanas is doing to, to the Forsaken what she can't bear to do to herself. There's a scene in, in the end of the comic where Sylvanas parts from her two sisters and goes off. And then suddenly you see that she's got four dark rangers waiting there. And they're like, are we, are we going now? And she's like, no, we, they can live a little longer. Sylvanas can't make herself kill her sisters. She can't cut that part of herself out. She wishes she could. She wants to, but she can't that's again the phantom limb thing but she feels like it would be better if they you know the whole reason she does what she does at the end of this book it isn't because she's malevolent and wants to destroy people it's because a she thinks she's doing them a favor she even says something to the effect of they wanted final death
0: okay wait Uh, let's let's back up here for a second and go over a brief summary of this here okay Right. Andwin decides to extend his hand to Sylvanus via the Desolate Council. The Desolate Council is a group of Forsaken who are not necessarily... They aren't trying to overthrow Sylvanas or anything. They're just kind of running the Undercity while Sylvanus is gone. But a lot of them are kind of... They miss their old lives, who they were while they were alive. And they miss their old families, and they miss everything else. Andwin has this idea that maybe he can get the surviving members of these people's families uh people that are living in stormwind right now or you know extended areas elwin forest wherever what have you um that maybe just for a day he can offer to these living people the opportunity to go talk to the forsaken that were related to them because andwin hopes anyway and feels that perhaps some of these Forsaken, they aren't all bad. They aren't evil. They aren't malevolent. They're just people that are left behind. And they're people that really want to make that connection with that life that they used to have. So he wants to kind of like, he's hoping that with that step, perhaps he can forge some kind of a diplomatic connection with the Horde where there wasn't one before. And maybe take that first step towards some sort of peaceful resolution between factions and all of that so they orchestrate this day and the desolate council shows up and there are people there who are set up to meet with people from the alliance Um, and it's all very watched very heavily sylvanas agreed to this she didn't want to but she agreed to it and she's very clear when she agrees to it, that she doesn't expect anything good to come out of it, that she expects that all of her forsaken people are going to be rejected or otherwise, you know, reviled by these people that they were going to be hurt. They're going to be hurt. And she, she makes sure to hammer that point home. Um, and yet at the same time, when these people meet connections are being forged and there's happiness going on. And then all of a sudden, some of these Forsaken from the Desolate Council try to flee towards Alliance lines. They're trying to defect. They're trying to go home with their families. And Sylvanas, who has promised Anwin, she said, I will not attack any of your people. She doesn't attack any of his people. She kills all the Forsaken. She kills all of the Desolate Council, including the people that weren't necessarily trying to defect or anything, that were just. She kills everybody who was involved with the event. Everybody not, forsaken who was involved with the event. Not quite. Almost everyone. Yeah, there's one, there's the, one she, group she loves to live. The, anybody group. who was rejected. Anybody uh, who did, was rejected gets to come back.
2: Anybody who was rejected and came back immediately didn't yeah. stay because, like, and don't forget, like, there was, you know, you have Elsie who, didn't you know, have she, didn't have, she Elsie didn't, didn't have have anybody. And still, and Elsie didn't have anybody, and Elsie stayed there.
0: And Elsie was going to come back to Sylvanas. and Sylvanus was like, no.
2: And that's the other thing, too, that is also important is like the the one part of this that I think is also kind of important is it wasn't everybody that was just defecting. Because one of the rules that they agreed upon is that should a horn be sounded in a certain manner, that the factions would part their ways and head back to their respective camps. The horn was sounded and many of those forsaken were heading back towards the agreed upon place. And Sylvanas killed them down, too.
0: Yeah. Sylvanas killed them anyway. Yeah. At this point.
1: I think a lot of this comes back to this idea Sylvanas has that she can't separate herself from the Forsaken. She wants immortality for them. And so it doesn't matter if they want it. it. It comes back to this. And I think it is a lot of it to do with her family, but I don't think it's as simple as, you know, I don't think it's wrath with her people. I don't think she, the people she kills on the battlefield with a few exceptions, she's not even angry at them. She does it because she thinks it's necessary. So my theory is one person that she does you get the sense that she wanted to kill that person real bad oh yeah but you know i don't know why i'm covering for this it's not a secret it's calia menethil arthur's older sister and i think and and you should probably talk about this because that's kind of a big deal to the whole why it all happened isn't it
0: it is because calia we never really knew what happened to calia menethil when she when she got when well during the third war She was separated from everyone, and we were under the assumption that when Arthas returned and essentially purged the city and killed everyone in it, including his father, that his mother and Calia must have been included in that number. Calia was not actually included in that number. She managed to escape. Um, She escaped, and she was found, and she was taken in by a Forsaken. So she had that connection already. And well, not just
2: any forsaken. Like Alonzo's fall. Yeah, the founder of the Paladin Order.
0: Yeah, so it was it it was a big name. Um, Callia Callia's story is really interesting because she's very reluctant to tell it. Callia obviously um, during oh god, which book was that? Was that Day of the Dragon, or was that another one? The one. It's Day of the
1: about? Dragon, where she t- almost marries uh, a
0: Deathwing, it, it, or not yeah. Blackmore. Uh, yeah, Deathwing. In
1: his deval Prester his guys
0: yeah prester thank you i'm like blackmore is the other horrible guy anyway so uh she was almost 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 engaged mary deathwing and then that didn't happen um and as as a woman as part of the menethel line it was just sort of assumed that she would be given to some kind of arranged marriage somewhere you know diplomatic whatever you're you're a cog in the wheel and she didn't want that um And she apparently fell in love with someone who was not of noble blood, married them in secret, and had a child. And they all died when the third war happened. Like she doesn't know if they're alive or dead. She doesn't know. She assumes that they're all forsaken too, but she doesn't know for sure. And she has no connection with them anymore. But she does know, just through her interactions with Fowl, that the forsaken are not all evil or to be feared or anything, they are still very much inside human, some of them more than others, and they would like to rekindle those old connections. So it was Calia that kind of fostered this idea to begin with and Anduin was really on board with it because it sounded like an excellent idea. It sounded like something that should happen. And he met Fowl and he talked with Fowl. There there was like this whole great sequence where he first meets up with alonzo's Fowl and Um, kind of has his first face-to-face interaction with the Forsaken that's more than just looking at him or whatever. He, He has a conversation with him and everything and realizes over the course of that conversation that this guy, yes, he's dead. He's animated dead, but there's still a person in there. And the person that's in there is still the person that was there during the First War and during the Second War. It's the same guy. His fate may have taken him down an unexpected path but that's that's who he is so Kalia being alive means that she is the sole living heir to Lorderon, pretty much um, she went to this whole meeting between the Desolate Council and the members of the Alliance um, she went in disguise she didn't tell anyone who she was she had her hood up at the time um, and she was going to, you know, she wanted to be there with Fowl and help facilitate this kind of thing because she knew how to interact with the Forsaken. She'd been doing it for years. Um, at the point where they started to decide to defect, she threw off her hood and told Elsie who she was. And Sylvanas saw her and Sylvanas knows exactly who Calia is and what Calia Calia stands for Kalia is the last living member of the Lord the line Calia is the only person with any kind of direct claim to the Undercity or rather the kingdom that's directly above it
2: you know that one that most of the forsaken are derived from
0: yeah so yeah. Sylvanas saw this going on she saw these defectors she saw Calia and drew a line between points A and B and decided that Calia was trying to attempt a coup of the Undercity she was trying to steal Sylvanas's people right out from under her. And that was not going to stand. And she killed Kalia. Just flat out killed her. And do you want to talk about what happens to Kalia after that, Rossi? Because this is really oh, interesting. Yeah,
1: there's, there's two things to talk about. I, one of them is the fact that there's the Anduin-Sylvanas confrontation. After everything else has happened. After Kalia and most of the Forsaken have been killed. Anduin faces her down. And basically, he says to her, I'm taking the body. And you can go ahead and shoot me if you want, but you shoot me, and we're at war. Which and I don't sh- think you want that yet.
2: Yeah, and we should specify that that was a big lead up of the whole armistice. Yeah. like the armistice before this is that neither side could really afford war because this is all immediately after Legion.
1: Yeah, and so I mean, keep in mind that it is so one of Sylvanas' goals, as laid out in this book, is that she wants to go to Stormwind and kill everybody and raise them as Forsaken. That's 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 her plan right now. Because that, is that her will static- keep the
0: Forsaken in perpetuity. Yeah
1: it will, you know, make them, you know, much more powerful because it will, like, triple she their number. She can't get
0: more bodies via the Valkyr, so she'll get them the other way around.
1: Yeah, but so she faces with Anduin, and Anduin is basically straight up says, you know, the difference between two of us, and this, this, the book itself even makes the point, the difference between the two of them is that Solana's now learned that she is not universally loved by her own people. And Kimon, that's a brand new revelation for her. For years, she's counted on the Forsaken as completely loyal to her.
2: Well, she and raised them. Just, she gave them a second
1: chance at life. She's just found out that they're not. Univ- she is not universally loved by her people, and he is universally loved by his. If she does kill him, it will unite the alliance,
2: and it may even fracture some of the her hold on the Forsaken as well. Yeah.
1: It might not just fracture not her hold on the Forsaken. Not to mention the
0: Horde, because Bane yeah. is brought Bane, up yep. in this book, and Sylvanas yeah. very clearly makes the point to Bane. She says. I know you've been talking to Anduin, and I could have you tried for treason, and I won't have you tried for treason if you cut off all contact immediately. And Bane does. He's regretful, but he does.
2: Imagine if Anduin winds up dead at her hands, what Bane would do.
1: Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there. That's the first part. The second part, though, is what happens after Kalia dies. Because Anduin t- reclaims her body, basically tells Savannah straight up, shoot me in the back if you want, and turns and, and leads drops the Drops his shield,
2: too. Like, drops yeah.
1: his holy shield. Say so go ahead, shoot me in the back. I I dare you to do it almost, and takes the body and and takes her back to Al- to Alanza's foul. And while he's heading back from the Arathi Highlands to to Stormwind, he thinks that's it. She's dead. Uh, fail has her, and that's just what happened. But when he gets back to Stormwind, does a couple of things. One of which is you know, Velen tells him you should go. You should go to the Nether the Netherlight. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Netherite Netherlight something. Temple. Yeah, go to the Netherlight Temple. So he goes there and he finds that Fowl is there praying over Kalia's body with Sara, the uh, Naru, And together, Anduin, they've been waiting for Anduin to show up. They all knew he was going to, you know, the, the, the Naru and Sara told them, oh yeah, Anduin will show up, just wait for him. Uh, he's like, what? Why did you want me here? He goes, oh, you're going to help me. You, we're doing a thing. Get on in here and start praying. So uh, Fowl and Anduin together raise her from death, but they don't raise her as a living person. She comes back as some kind of light based undead, unlike anything we've seen in world of Warcraft. Like, she's at this point, she's dead. She's undead. She is not a forsaken. She is not a rotting shambling thing. She is completely powered by the Holy light. The Holy so, light is within her and throughout her. And that's what she is.
2: This, this was absolutely an intriguing sequence in the book for me, because I noticed that there were a lot of parallels to this and the collar short story in which. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there? So, yeah. So there's a whole lot there uh, as far as that goes, where it's like, uh, w- what just happened? Like, are we seeing that there is the ability to birth those without the need of a Valkyr? Because very clearly, Anduin is not a Valkyr, neither is Fowl. Um, but she's not decaying she's and she's in this like perfect almost like undeath stasis yeah what's really
1: what's interesting in the scene too i don't know if you guys noticed this but they make the point that neither anduin nor Fowl, like they're not harmed at all by the power going through them but it's far more power than they would themselves ever be able to channel
2: right yeah. well and with sarah it's
1: all, it's all right. coming from the naru the yeah. naru is doing it but the naru needed them as intermediaries to do it why What's yeah. going on here? Why didn't the Naru need them? If Sara wanted to raise Kalia, why did they need an undead and a human to do it? Except that what's the state she's in when it's done? She's exactly in between Fowl and Anduin.
2: Which is interesting, too, because you it's almost akin to the Light Lightforge process, at least from what we've seen. But, like, that had to be done with living creatures. So what... Why did it have to be channeled through them? And is death I that one veil?
1: There's something interesting going on here too. And if you think about the fact that death undead are not powered by void energy. No, they're, they're not, not powered by the opposite of light. They're powered by necromantic death energy. Like that comes from the shadow lands. That comes from the land of dead of the dead, not the light. So the there's a thing going back to the the, the comic. There's a bit where where Alaria and Sylvanas have a face off and The voices of the Void talking to Alaria say to her, you must kill her. She serves the true enemy.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a a know your lore I'm working on.
1: (laughs) One of the things that's got me thinking about ever since is we know that the the Naru may have some sort of connection to the Titans. There's certainly a connection with at least one Titanic figure. And they definitely um, and, point that out in this book
2: too. Like, there's definitely a connection there.
1: And one of the things that that made me think about this was we know that there's a point where the first Valkyr, Hel, Hella, um, Helia, sorry, um, helped Odin connect up with a being from the Shadowlands, a being of death, and then later on made her realm there when she became the true enemy in the Shadowlands and death and Helia and There's just the valkyrie and the naru and the light there's i think the void and the light might actually have common cause here
0: yeah there's um like i said it's something that i'm researching right now there's 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 something here that we haven't even considered being there because we've been so fo- focused on the void being this terrible thing but it's well, not I mean... necessarily and there it, may be something else, and it's worse than Sargeras, and it's worse than all this other, and it's like, oh, okay. So I'm I'm kicking around theories on this. What I found interesting about this whole resurre- resurrection sequence, right? Um, the Naru was kind of talking, and one of the things that she said was, uh, "Light and dark, forsaken priest and human priest, together you shall bring her back as the light, and she herself would have her be." And Anduin said, "It's." said in the book that Anduin didn't understand what the naru meant by those words and he also suspected that Fowl didn't either um but the implication here is that this is what Kalia wanted
1: well she wanted to be the the rule she wanted to be the kind of person who could lead the people of lord she, who she wanted forsaken. to save her people she wanted to save. she said that she wanted to save her people right and like right now i i remember i think i said this in the know your lore right now Sylvanas has just created the greatest existential threat to her rule of the Forsaken that they could possibly be. Because before Mm -hmm. this, Calia could not lead them. No matter how much she wanted to, no matter how much she felt for them, no matter how much she might want to have a reunion with her loved ones that that were turned into Forsaken, she could never go to the Forsaken and say, I understand you. Because she would always be a living person.
0: She's the bridge now.
1: Yeah, now she isn't. I'm not saying she's going to end up as the next Forsaken faction leader. I'm saying she's a threat to Sylvanas on a much greater scale than she ever was. And also, she's because... Let's be honest
0: here. There wasn't exactly a lot that posed a threat to Sylvanas. A lot of people were like, oh, well, Lillian Voss might... And I'm like, no, Lillian Voss has absolutely... She doesn't have a claim. Absolutely no interest in leading the Forsaken. She hates the fact that she's a Forsaken. Um, Now... Her actions in Legion kind of lean towards maybe there's something going on in Voss's head that we don't know about because she gets a little weird in Legion, but And there's initially. Without speaking, spoilers,
1: yeah, without spoilers, the Lillian Voss story continues in Battle for Azeroth. So yeah. if you want to know what happens mm-hmm. to her, play Horde in Battle for Azeroth. You yeah. see more
0: and and initially, you know initially anyway, Voss was horrified at the idea that she was a Forsaken. There was there was no reason for her want to want to lead there was everything that she was was everything that she was raised and told to hate and eradicate. So there wasn't really a clear path for her to kind of like challenge Sylvanas. Why would she even want to challenge Sylvanus at that point, you know? There was no reason for it. Calia, on the other hand, has a very clear path that she could take here. And Anduin was very once once she came back, once Kalia came back Andwin sat down with her and he asked her straight up. He said was, was this your plan like the whole time? Was this like were you using this whole gathering thing to try and reclaim your throne somehow? And she said no. That wasn't what she intended at all. Um, she said ever since I met met Archbishop Fowl. i believe that one day, if I had the chance, I could show that even though I was not forsaken, I could treat them as my people and rule them well. My brother had tried to destroy them. I wanted to help them. And he says, so when you heard about the gathering, you wanted to participate. And she nods. Yes, I wanted to meet more forsaken who were not priests. I wanted to see how they would react to meeting their families. But that was all I intended for the gathering, I swear it. And she said that she's not, she says... I'm not yet ready to rule, but I wish to serve the people of Lordaeron. The, they are my people, and now I'm like them. It feels right, and I'll learn from the Archbishop. I'll learn what it's like to be this, to be undead yet walk in the light. So she's not in a space where she's going to immediately run to the Undercity and challenge Sylvanas for any kind of, like, leadership or anything like that, but she's still that bridge. It's weird that she's that bridge.
2: its It feels almost like a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in BFA a little bit, which concerns me but has a couple interesting implications that at least from what i thought could happen so i don't know if we want to start talking about like where it goes from here if there's more we want to cover about the book beforehand because
0: we have a couple of different people that sent in emails asking about particularly about what happened with calia and what they wanted to know was does calia becoming an undead like this does that signify that there's going to be a faction of forsaken that are going to come to the alliance
2: we don't know we don't know. I would, I personally would
1: highly doubt it.
0: I don't think so. Yeah. I'm going mean, to just if... say
1: this up front. Um, one of the things I've disliked the most about the upcoming expansion uh-huh. is that they have basically said okay, uh, now the Horde gets basically Night Elves. And now the Alliance gets basically Blood Elves, but different. And it kind of, like I, I rolled a, a, a nightborn and, and ran around on the, on the uh, beta with it for a while. And honestly it just feels weird to me and I don't I don't want them to keep doing that. I'm okay with them doing it once, but I, imagine if they just kept bringing over, like, okay, now Horde gets broken and Alliance gets, uh, you know, gets their own trolls. It's like, no. At some point, you, if you, you keep trading races over, it feels like they're, you know, what's the point of any faction difficult differences?
2: Yeah, I and... That's a gripe to mine and I know that there's been a lot of call for years and I mean since the beginning of the game for like a neutral faction and I know that some of the books especially like around the shattering and and things like that were like oh look at all these you know faction leaders that don't really you know want to play the politics game and don't really want to be this horde versus alliance thing and if they ever decided to throw a third faction in the game I could see there being some cross-pollinization there later but I don't think that's ever going to happen logistically and um, But I don't think that we're ever going to get a forsaken allied race for the Alliance. If anything, we're going to get to a point where there's just a ceasefire and that, you know, we have that greater threat again. And that's fine. That's sort of the cycle of how things happen. Now, the interesting thing for me with Kalia is that she represents one of two possible outcomes to me. And it's either Sylvanas is going to die in Battle for Azeroth and be destroyed because whatever she serves is not going to let her go, or she's going to be overthrown, or whatever the case is. Or, and this is something that might happen, and I, I started thinking about this with all the emotion that they've been showing with her, and sort of this humanity, quote-unquote, that sort of still is there, even if it is a phantom limb. What if it sets up a redemption arc? What if Kalia Tez take over the throne, but Sylvanas is redeemed, can walk in the light at least a, you know, a little bit enough to be with her sisters, and serves? Not as a mindless thrall to whoever's in charge, but as somebody who's reborn, reforged free from whatever shackles of whatever holds her free from that fear of whatever would consume her in her death and able to give this race or these people, you know, continue to protect them and foster them with the person that should rightfully be in charge anyway. Like, there, it could go either way for me, and I really hope that it's not that Sylvanas just dies because I will be very upset if that's what happens, but I could see this being a setup for a redemption arc for her almost.
0: I, uh, a lot of people have been kind of comparing Sylvanas to Garrosh, and I mean, we saw it in that email that I read earlier where somebody was saying that people were talking about how sylvanas is the new garrosh hellscream and i mm-hmm. don't think that that's the case no, i think that no. there's a very different situation being presented here and i mean if you want to look at it just at a glance face value oh no it's another horde leader suddenly going evil no it's not that garrosh hellscream was focused on conquest because he was a warmonger yeah and... but also
1: to be to a degree i feel like that's a misunderstanding of garrosh yeah, yeah. He himself wasn't evil. Like, no, he wasn't a cartoonish supervillain. He was I, doing what his
0: nature told him to do. You know. Yeah, you know, he
1: was. He, he was. He came to the horde after years of doubting himself, and he, because he was afraid, he was too much like his father. Somebody showed up and said, "No, your father was great. You should be like that." Your so dad he was his, a hero. <laughs> he threw himself into that one thousand percent. And what what examples did he have? the the war chiefs the, the effectively the warlords of draenor that's the examples he had to build himself on that's how an award uh, an orc war chief acts that's they why act like in this. that
0: cinematic in that cinematic that final battle between him and thrall there's this one moment where he says you created me or he said you made me into this to thrall and the way that that you line yeah yeah what that the you... way that that line is delivered there's it's just torn from the throat of the voice actor, and there's uh, ah yeah, Patrick sees did an amazing job. It on is that. such a beautiful, beautiful delivery, and I don't want to think about how many lozenges he had to like fork down after that because yeah. oh my gosh, but there's,
1: I think to a degree though, like when people are saying you know, she's the new garage, they're mistaking the situation yeah. in a way. She is like Garrosh, though, because both Garrosh and Sylvanas identified with their people so strongly yeah. that they couldn't—they couldn't see maybe what I want isn't what my people need.
0: And that's and, kind of the same thing, but with Sylvanas, yeah. it's very much like her—her her reasoning for doing this. She wants her people to survive. It's yeah, all exactly. about survival at this point. It's not you know, about conquering. It's not about ruling the world or anything like that. It's making sure that the Forsaken survive.
2: In, and I think that's rooted back in the failure of her life, right? Yeah. Like, And in, in it's all based around that insecurity. Like I said, it's she failed to protect her people from the scourge. She failed to, you know, really do anything for a meaningful amount of time until, you know, she finally was able to break free. And even then it wasn't entirely unassisted. Right? Like, this is this insecurity that she's going to fail again. And I think that's what it is. I think that's, for me, where a lot of it stems from. It's... We're,
0: we're running over on time a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have places that you want to be, but I want to address at least one more email here, if that's okay. Go for it. Before we wrap up, um, this one is from Kima, who's a human hunter on Norganon, who says and i'm i'm summarizing this cuz it was a really lengthy email it said hello lore watchers greetings from sao paulo brazil i've just gone through the audio version of before the storm and even though i love the book i missed a connection between the story and battle for azeroth there's no mention of any of the pre pre-events for battle for azeroth all the stuff that people have been talking about with like teldrassil and the battle for lorderon and all of that right um as I said, if you take War Crimes, for example, it starts immediately after the end of Mists of Pandaria and ends with Garrosh traveling to alternate Draenor, which clearly ties into Warlords of Draenor. So am I missing something? Is there something in Before the Storm that links to Battle for Azeroth that I didn't notice? Yes. Okay. So let's I mean, go ahead and talk about this. Rossi, go ahead. Well, it's
1: the Azerite, for one thing. Uh, the book, basically, if you the bit with where Magni shows up and goes to talk to both the Horde and the Alliance and the whole thing about the Azerite and the Azerite mining, this is all directly, it links the very end of Legion where we see stuff going on in Silithus with the Horde, the Horde mining stuff and the Alliance like watching them. That's linked straight to what's going to be going on in Battle for Azeroth. Everything yep. that happens in Battle for Azeroth is about the Azerite. Like everything the Horde does is because the Azerite makes Sylvanas believe, okay, if we let them have any of this, they'll destroy us. We gotta keep all of it. And it's the Alliance responding with, well, if that's the way it's going to be, then we're going to get as much of it as we can. That's the, the Azerite is the big linkage. No, we don't see any of the stuff from the beta because this all takes place. This is why they're on a war footing. This is why Sylvanas decides I have to risk this.
0: It's why there's that animosity there immediately after Legion is over with.
1: Yeah, this is the this was the chance. Again and again and again we see this. This was the chance for the Horde and Alliance to possibly actually work together. And it gets ruined partially because of the personalities of the people involved. I'm just going to straight up lay this one on Sylvanas. Yeah. Sylvanas yeah. is not in a good place mentally. For one thing, her being warchief is not a good job for her. I I honestly feel like it's not just a question of her not knowing how to to lead other races. She doesn't want to. It, this isn't a job she wanted. Here's she took it because she didn't part. have a choice. Okay,
0: here's the fun part. Let's just pause that for a moment and let's, let's just backtrack, rewind, zip. Okay, go back to the moment Sylvanas was named war chief.
2: Yeah, I was, I was literally Vol'jin. going to break this up.
0: <laughs> we have Vol'jin sitting on the throne and he says that the Loa have been speaking to him and they whispered a name and it's her. And she's the one who has to take up that mantle. And in that cinematic, Sylvanas does not move. She's standing stock still in shock as they take Vol'jin's body away. Time passes. A significant amount of time passes. And Sylvanas doesn't move because she's so taken aback by what has just happened here. This wasn't a position that she signed up for, and one of the things that I've always wondered was why did they say her? Why her? Why was her name mentioned? I, why I why would it be her? That. And then for me, my logical conclusion was: well, if you want vengeance for Vol'jin's death, who's better at vengeance than Sylvanas Windrunner? Nobody. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's got part. That's you know part of it. But then. As all of this started happening, and as I read this book, I started thinking, "What Loa were were telling this to Volgin? Yeah, which Loa were speaking to Volgin? Who was he talking to? Who are they in charge of? What is that the Loa of? Was that Bom Samdi? Yeah, was that. That's... Who was that?
2: <laughs> so that's my. I have a working theory about that, and I, yeah. I don't want to talk, go too deep into it, mm-hmm. but because it involves potential spoilers for the game, but. Yeah. Yeah, like, I had that same level of thought, and with the introduction of, of Bamsamdi, who, this isn't a spoiler at this point, he's a loa of death. Like,
0: Yeah, we saw him when we went and took back Senjin Village, like, right at the, before Cataclysm, was it? Yeah, before mm-hmm. Cataclysm, yeah. they yeah. had the whole thing where you retook Nomrigan, and then you went to Senjin Village, and you did that thing, and you met Bomb Sandy, who was on the island. Vol'jin and him had a chit chat. He had a great voice actor, so good. Anyway, <laughs> um... but
2: yeah, ever ever, that, and that's what I went back to too. Is like he's not. It's not like he's new, and it's not like it's not like him and Vol'jin interacting is like a new like earth shattering thing. This has happened before. This happened a while ago. So I mean. That sort of the low of death, when you're very close to death itself, makes perfect sense if he's whispering in your ear, yo, by, by the way, before you, uh, before I take you over to, you know, the the, the eternal afterlife or just rewards or whatever you're going to go to, uh, you're going to go ahead and say this because I, I, I need stuff and I need things to happen a certain way. So that's the impression I got.
0: Yeah. So the connection between this book and Battle for Azeroth. Yeah, there's that whole Azerite thing like you were talking about, Rossi that's a very obvious connection right there i mean it's kind of laid out pretty clearly there um joe did you have anything else you wanted to add to that a lot
2: of mostly the azurite stuff is really where the linkage is especially like it's mostly the beginning of the book right like the beginning of the book the first few chapters are basically setting up bfa and then everything else is sort of the interim like okay we have everything in place we know what the bigger machinations are going to happen? Now it's time to focus on the smaller pieces of it and the people that are going to be sort of at the center point of it. What are they doing? And it worked really well for me in that regard for for that. And so I, I think that it's there. You just have to look in the first like six chapters, seven chapters, and that's
1: where like the main meat of it is. I'm going this isn't. well oh, go ahead. Sorry.
0: I'm going to take a slightly different tact with this. Actually, um, the Azraite the Azerite is an obvious link here but I think that the not quite obvious link here is Anduin Anduin in Legion Anduin was made king just like straight up here you go kid your dad's dead jump into that role have fun and then we didn't see him for the majority of that expansion we saw him at the tail end of it if you played an alliance player if you haven't gone to the Broken Shore and done the quest chain with the locket that you find off the coast if you're alliance go do that because that's a really important question, Um, And it kind of lets you know what kind of space Anduin has been living in throughout the entirety of Legion. But what we didn't know and we never really discovered in Legion was what kind of leader is Anduin going to be? And I'm going to talk about that in Know Your Lord tomorrow. But um, beyond that, what we're seeing in this book here is Andwin coming to terms with being a leader and how to, interact with everybody else not just the horde but the alliance like how to interact with the various leaders of the alliance with with you know Tyrande with 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 Gen with everybody Um, he doesn't have a lot of experience so he's just trying things out right now And the one thing that we've known about Anduin since he was a little kid and even as we've watched him grow up, because we have, when we started playing World of Warcraft, he was 10 years old. He was 10 years old sitting in Stormwind's throne room um, with a couple of advisors who were kind of leading, but he was king of Stormwind, and I'm kind of air quoting here, um, interim until his dad came back. We've watched him grow up, and one thing that we've, always, always, always known about Andwin is that he's been the biggest proponent for peace. He's been all about diplomacy and even when Jaina, even when Jaina fell by the wayside, Andwin was still for it. Throughout throughout Mists of Pandaria he didn't get involved in that whole war thing and he wasn't interested in that whole war thing. He was interested in helping the Pandaren and trying to make sure that things didn't fall apart. And in war crimes... He was the one that reached out to Garrosh. He like he deliberately went to Garrosh in his cell and tried to talk to him and tried to understand him. And he's been this beacon of, of peace and unity. And the biggest question coming out of Legion is with Anduin Wrynn as leader of Stormwind, does that mean all of a sudden we're all going to go on that journey of happy, fun, peace times you know, are are we all going to follow him into this whole, is he going to lead us happily skipping through the fields to this land of diplomacy of idyllic, whatever resolution, or is he going to be the leader that we need him to be because we're going into a war between factions and he in his lifetime has not demonstrated that he's the kind of leader that can handle that necessarily in this book it the little lion
2: has learned to roar.
0: It takes care of that issue immediately because what is the first thing Andwin tries to do? He tries to reach out his hand because we know he's going to do that. We know he's going to do that. That's the first thing he's going to do is he's going to try and reach out his hand and, and offer some kind of peaceful resolution. And over the course of this book, it's made very clear that that tactic is not going to work. At which point, Andwin needs to think of something else. So it's like that whole issue that's been kind of that whole question of how is Anduin going to be as a leader if all he wants is peace and happy fun times. It's like that question was addressed and answered in the course of one novel and now we can move on and Anduin's going to have to grow up.
1: Yeah, and there's actually an interesting bit. If you want to see how he goes from the Anduin that we last really saw in Legion, you know, going for his walk to the Anduin we see in the opening cinematic who is basically... Leading an army up to Lordaeron. How do we get from there to there? The end of this book, where he turns to Gen, and Gen basically, it's interesting. Gen Greymane, of all people, says, You know, you were right, and I was wrong. Some forsaken are not beyond saving. Anduin turns to him and basically says, Yes, but Sylvanas is. Yeah. And that is not something that. 16 year old Anduin would have said
0: no the end of this book is a very 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 clear declaration that Anduin understands exactly what and who he's dealing with and that this little happy fun time thing that he'd been chasing around when he was a kid it's not going to be something as simple as having a bunch of people meet in a field and hug that's not going to work It's going to take more than that. And there are people that are standing in his way and will continue to stand in his way. And he realizes it. He knows it. Um, I think it's kind of fascinating because this book, like I said, I really loved this book because a lot of it was Anwin's journey through that and coming to terms with that. And then there was also these themes of immortality that kind of um, resonated in the book. Because Sylvanas is essentially looking for some kind of functional immortality for her people that's what she wants for the forsaken she wants them to live forever or unlive forever if you want to call it that and the the desolate council are like no that's that's not necessarily what we want (laughs) and she can't understand that and meanwhile on Anduin's side of things you have him dealing with death too and there's that whole oh my gosh I cried so much reading this book right um. There's that whole sequence with uh, who's it? Will? Yeah, I believe so. Will. His his who's... his
1: manservant. Like, yeah, pretty like, much. Uh... Yeah, Will. Um, Will Benton. That's his
0: name. Will Benton, who, who ended up actually. There, there's a surprise. In, eh, we'll leave that one there. We'll leave that for people to read. But you know what I'm talking about when I say Will. Will mm-hmm. was very very old. Very 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 old, and it was time for Will to go. And Andwin went to him and said, I can heal you, I can make you better, I can I can make everything okay again. And Will was like, no, it's time. So you have like two different sides of the same coin here, and that idea is being reinforced that maybe, you know, eternal life isn't exactly all it's hopped up to be. And maybe sometimes when it's time to go, it's time to go. And the kindest thing to do is to just let them go, you know. Um there were a lot of elements of this book that i really liked and christy is very good at making people cry
2: (laughs) yeah so if if, christy if you're if you're listening to this podcast i'm sure she for any reason um i just i want to thank you for the ugly cries uh and hitting me right in the feels you are darn good at that
0: well i think she was drawing from experience there too a little bit but like you could tell I mean that whole exchange was just very genuine um, which is why it hit me right in the gut (laughs) and like the second it started happening I'm like oh no why didn't I bring tissues (laughs) Um, the book was very good and and I think that the bridge there it doesn't necessarily need to be like a blatant here's the bridge we're just going to spell this out for you here's what things have you know have to happen I think that in order for battle for Azeroth to continue as it is planned to continue, some things needed to happen for room to be made for these events to come into play. And that's kind of what before the storm was about was it was just making space and kind of answering those lingering questions of, well, why would war happen if Anduin is at the, (laughs) at the helm? You know, (laughs) why, why would this happen if, 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 you know, there, there's a lot going on there. Um,
1: yeah, it's actually a lot more we could talk about about Sylvanas and what's going on in her head. But we're kinda, we kind of there's are... a lot, there's a we... lot more we could even talk about beyond that of just like the
2: Azerite and everything else. Like there. There's a lot. In yeah,
1: this we plot. didn't even mention the Goblin Gnome subplot, which no. is unfortunate because they were adorable. Or the
0: they or the Velvet and the Light thing. The Velvet and the Light thing. There's a lot of things in here that we didn't mention. Basically, if you haven't picked up this book, you should probably pick it up and give it a read. Um, and if you haven't read this book, why are you listening to this podcast? We just spoiled everything for you. It's okay. Go read the book anyway. It's still good. Um, let's go ahead and wrap it up here, though. And I think maybe the next episode we'll start talking. We'll we'll talk some more about this possibly. Unless something comes up that requires our immediate attention, because I think there that might we be could... one more
1: comic, right?
0: Uh, I don't think so. I think that that third one was the last one. So I had okay. heard anyway, but I'm kind of hoping there's another one. But
2: we might get we might get a, we might get another comic. We might get an audio drama. We might get a short story.
0: Yeah, who knows? Um, I, I feel like there are more there. There's more tales to be told here. Maybe not necessarily before Battle for Azeroth comes out, but immediately after i mean the lore team seems to be working really well in as far as like weaving the books and the comics and the game all together into something that's really easily comprehensible you don't have to read before the storm to understand what's going on in battle for azeroth it just gives you a clearer picture it's it's not required reading by any stretch of the imagination but it's one of those things that answers a lot of questions and, and again it's beautifully written and I highly recommend it um, but let's gonna go ahead and wrap us up here if you do have any questions for the show um, we didn't get to every email today Obviously, we didn't. <laughs> we were busy talking about the book. But if you do have any questions about the book or just, you know, about lore in general, you can send those to podcast at com. Be sure to put lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Uh, Blizzard watch it's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question- questions answered on our podcast or The queue, and an ads free site experience and for you guys listeners of Blizzard Watch obviously Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service um, the audiobook version of Before the Storm is absolutely wonderful and it's read by Anduin's voice actor which makes it even more entertaining but there's a variety of other Blizzards titles on Audible as well um, and you know if you don't want a World of Warcraft book They have thousands more. So uh, yeah, you can get that at com slash audible and every sign up helps support the show. Final thoughts, you guys. I'm going to ask you a question. And the question is based on the last line of this book. (laughs) The last line of this book is, I believe, said Anduin Lane Wren, that Sylvanas Windrunner is well and truly lost. Do you guys believe that? Joe?
2: (laughs) No, I, I don't. I think that from the outside appearances, I can see why somebody would think so. Um, especially Anduin, who, you know, murdering your own people is definitely a sure way for somebody who, uh, as emotionally invested in his people as Anduin, is to really think you've gone off the deep end. But from everything else we've seen, no, I, I don't think that she is completely gone. And that's why, like earlier, I think that there is potential that they could be setting up a redemption arc for her. Um So we'll see, but there's definitely pieces there that I can see that would fit that she's not an animal, she's not a monster, she's not completely removed from
1: humanity.
0: Rossi, what do you
1: think? It is is because she is not an animal or completely removed from humanity that she is truly lost. It is entirely, there's an old another video game called uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2, where the character Kreia says, redemption is a kind of spiritual collapse. It's one she will never take. Everything she does, she does because she thinks it's for the best. Just like every monster in actual human history thought they were doing the right thing. Everybody thinks they're the hero of their own story. Mm -hmm. Savannah honestly believes everything she's doing is for the best for her people. She identifies with them so strongly that she can't see a difference between her wants and needs and theirs. And that's why there is no redemption arc coming for her. She is a monster because she's chosen to be one. And there is no coming back.
0: I think. <laughs> wow, we've got two vastly different sides here. I'm going. What to a take... shock, Joy! I don't agree. I'm going to take a stance somewhere <laughs> in the middle. Actually, um, <laughs> do I think that she's going to be redeemed? I don't know. Do I think that the potential exists there? Yes, but it would take a lot, and I mean a lot. There would have to be a very significant event for that to occur, and it's not. A meeting of minds between humanity and the Forsaken. Sylvanas was an elf. She doesn't care about humanity in particular. She cares about the Forsaken. She has things that she herself cares about um, on a personal level. She'd never admit it but she does have things that she cares about on a personal level and I feel like it would have to be something super drastic to warrant that kind of a redemption arc. I think it's possible, but it would take a lot. Um, But anyway, that wraps us up. Sorry it was a super long episode, although I'm pretty sure that none of you care and you wish that we would talk on for six hours at a time. (laughs) But we're not going to because we have things to go to. So thank you guys very much for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks.